In our first segment, we look at the ongoing challenges posed by the lethal pandemic that struck New York City this spring and took more than 20,000 lives. The pandemic has subsided and life is slowly returning to something resembling normal. Still, six months after COVID-19 arrived to New York City, the sudden economic devastation wrought by COVID is tremendous, especially in black and working class immigrant communities. Joining us tonight to talk about many things, including the path forward, is State Senator Jeff Ramos. She represents the Queens neighborhoods of Woodside, Jackson Heights, Elmhurst, East Elmhurst, and Corona that were at the epicenter of the pandemic. She rode into Albany in 2018 on a progressive wave that flipped the state Senate to Democratic control for the first time in decades and has been fighting tenaciously for progressive causes since arriving in Albany. She recently won her Democratic primary in State Senate District 13 with 85% of the vote, effectively clinching a second term in office. Senator Ramos, thank you for joining us this evening on the WBAI Evening News. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So for starters, uh, can you describe how your district is doing at this time and whether you think the challenge challenges faced by your district are similar to those of many other communities in our city? We're going through a very hard time here in Queens right now. Um, in my district alone, we've lost more than a thousand of our family members, uh, many of them breadwinners, essential workers. Um, and we're really starting to see the economic devastation that came from, from the peak of the pandemic. Uh, of course, everybody knows unemployment is high, but also too many of my neighbors don't qualify for unemployment benefits or the stimulus check, even though they pay their taxes. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't uh, really seen much help from the uh, state leadership in order to tax billionaires and be able to provide uh, some sort of economic relief for these excluded workers. And this includes undocumented people, but also people who are formerly incarcerated and perhaps didn't have the employment history to qualify for these benefits. It includes domestic workers and street vendors and sex workers. Um, and, and, and really what we're realizing is just how big the cash economy is and how uh, big of a problem of underemployment that we have. Um, so we're really active uh, out there asking for, uh, you know, the legislature to tax the rich um, in order to uh, in order to generate the revenue that we need. Uh, but then on, if, if that if all of that is not you know, worse enough. Now we have the state liquor authority harassing our small businesses, our restaurants in the area, particularly those that are minority owned. Um, and um, it's worrisome because if we end up with a lot of vacant storefronts, that's exactly what big real estate wants in order to come over to come over and take over our, our economic corridors. So we're really fighting for our lives here. Right. And uh, earlier this month, uh, Make the Road New York and New York Communities for Change, among others, uh, organized a Barrios Not Billionaires rally in Queens that you were on hand for. Uh, I think we're going to have a clip here coming up uh, of one of the speakers who was uh, this 11-year-old girl. For many people like my neighbors and friends, don't have money for food and to pay the rent. 
I am angry at you, Governor Cuomo, because you don't want to tax the super rich people. Meanwhile, we are all fighting to survive. People that don't have enough money find a way to pay their taxes, but the rich don't. There are many families like my family who don't know how to get by because you don't want to help us. Governor Cuomo, you have the power to help us, but you refuse to by not taxing the super rich. All right. So uh, maybe in a few years she'll be running for office, too. But, I can't um, wait to vote for her. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, can you, you you're sponsoring a, a legislation for a, a billionaire's tax or a, a um, tax on the super wealthy in Albany right now. Can you um, talk about a little bit more of the details of that and, and what you would want the funds to be used for? The bill I'm proposing does two things. One, it taxes billionaires' unrealized capital gains, uh, meaning the way their income gets bigger every year. This is income that is not taxed at the state or federal level, largely. Um, And that would generate enough revenue in order to provide excluded workers with economic relief. And remember, these are folks who for the past four months haven't been able to make much money at all, if at all, um, because of unemployment, uh, because their places of work maybe haven't and won't reopen. um, and, And we're seeing this more and more. So it's really critical that we ask those who have actually benefited, profited off of the pandemic um, to pay their fair share. We had 112 billionaires in New York State before the pandemic, more than any other place in the world. And today, just four months later, we have 118 billionaires. Their combined wealth increased by $45 billion. That's money that was extracted from our communities. And so while they're hoarding that money, We have people in our communities who are hungry, who are on the verge of homelessness, and who can't even invest in businesses because we are not helping them along uh, and urging that entrepreneurial spirit. We have our priorities very, very wrong, and that's why we have to get out there. We have to march. We have to make our voices heard in order to prevent um, a bigger catastrophe. And speaking of priorities, uh, can you talk about why uh, State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Assembly Speaker Carl Heasty, both Democrats, uh, aren't bringing legislation like this forward and and forcing a vote on it and forcing Cuomo to potentially veto what would probably be a very popular measure? Well, I, I don't speak for them. But I can say that there is in the state Senate a uh, revenue working group uh, where uh, these uh, proposals and others have been discussed. Um, actually, both leaders, uh, Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Speaker Carl Hasty, are actually on the record saying they support legislation. Right now, I think we're trying to figure out the best path forward. Luckily, there are plenty of legislative proposals um, and, and good ones that, that need to be considered. Uh, we're doing that work, and the legislative session is not over. Uh, so that's why we still we have to stay in the streets. We have to stay on message, and we have to keep mobilizing our people towards the right thing. Are there are there any uh, particular Senate Democrats that are re- reluctant to go along with this that we should know about? 
I, in order to do I've that seen, pressuring? From what I've seen on different bills, different cohorts or set of senators are signed on to different bills. So it's hard to pigeonhole, I think, any one of them uh, and, and, and say that, you know, they're not being supportive overall. Obviously, New York is a very diverse place, especially when it comes to income across our districts. Um, but you'll, I think you'll find most, if not all, of the Democratic conference supports some sort of version. Um, and, and, of course, you know, there are bills. There's the Puget Care tax, for example. There is one of my favorites, um, which is another Brad Hoylman bill. A lot of people don't know, you know, the average New Yorker goes to the store to buy something and we have to pay sales tax. But billionaires and rich people don't pay sales tax when they buy a yacht or when they buy a private plane, which is completely unfair. Um, so there are different proposals. Um, and, and I think what's most important is you should know who your state representatives are, know where they stand on these issues. And if they're not doing the right thing, make sure you call them and tell them why it's important. All righty. And, and uh, another measure that came out of um, this uh, summer uh, session was, uh, I believe, a, a rollback in some or all of the legal immunity for nursing homes uh, uh, that was granted earlier this year. Uh, any, any thoughts about that, given the incredible tragedies we saw during the pandemic? Truly incredible tragedies, indeed. Um, it's a very sad state of affairs. Um, but luckily, the health committee chairs, um, both Dick Gottfried in the assembly and my colleague, Gustavo Rivera, have already held a Senate hearing on this uh, topic. And I'm sure it's probably still accessible on the nysenate.gov website for anyone who is interested in that particular issue. Um, we're, we have to hold uh, the administration and uh, nursing homes accountable. Um, and, and those are the, you know, those are the things that we're reviewing now in order to put forth legislation that really does protect people. Um, but the truth is that, unfortunately, the governor changed many laws by executive order um, throughout the pandemic. Um, and that's exactly why we have a system of checks and balances. Now it's us, up to us as legislators to do the right thing and stand up for our folks. Are you surprised that Governor Cuomo uh, gets so much uh, credit for uh, his leadership during the pandemic when uh, I mean New York has had more fatalities than California, Texas, and Florida combined. I mean, we had the situation with the nursing home um, patients. Uh, that, that whole situation just spun out of control and, uh, you know, very slow on closing down the state. Um, I mean, he's even got fans across the country that now identify as Cuomosexuals. Uh, what? You're in Albany a lot. What's up with that? Why, why does this guy get so much credit? Am I shocked? No. But I do feel that it's fake news. Look, he has a great PR team, um, and luckily for him, his brother is on CNN and is a very popular reporter. Um, and he's been able to take advantage of those privileges that he has. Um, but the facts are very different. More than 30,000 people have died in New York. Most of those deaths could have been prevented. Um, by and large, simply if we had shut down a, a week earlier, uh, instead of fighting with Mayor de Blasio about when to shut down, we should have done it as soon as we could. Um, and, and in that way, of course, there are many other things like the nursing home issue where uh, different decisions could have been made in order to keep everybody safe. 
Um, but working people are really hurting in New York now. Um, and, and this is, again, why it is that we need to speak up and, and t- tell our stories, tell our COVID stories, talk about, you know, the way um, perhaps there hasn't been enough testing uh, in, in, in our neighborhood um, or uh, the, the fact that, you know, we have a health system that essentially was not designed in order to help us in, in these great times of need. In Queens alone, we've seen five hospitals close over the past 20 years. My zip code, 11369 in East Elmhurst, which has the highest number of corona deaths in my district, is a practically a neighborhood that doesn't even have a private doctor. And so... These are the issues that we need to prioritize and we need to make sure that we are learning these lessons in order to in order to protect our folks. We have to fight tooth and nail for our things, especially when we have a, a governor who's so out of touch that he's worried about going out to cook for uh, billionaires out in the Hamptons it, while there's actual folks outside trying to figure out how to make ends meet and put food on the table. Um, he's completely out of touch. I know we're both from Queens, but listen, I, I think I think we've had very different experiences. We see very different things, um, and, and I stick up for my neighbors. I, I don't know how anyone from Queens, from Queens can stick up for billionaires. Right. Well, we Donald Trump is also from Queens, so, I mean... Yeah, uh, I don't claim him either. Right. Uh, so... Uh, before we t- take a, a short break, uh, are, are you hearing any buzz up in Albany about a possible primary challenger to Cuomo in 2022? I mean, he doesn't seem to want to change his stripes in, in any way. Look, the progressive wing of the party, of course, is always thinking about that. I endorsed Cynthia Nixon uh, in 2018, um, and I will see how it unfolds over the next two years, um, the Next uh, gubernatorial election is in 2022. Uh, we're going to need a progressive person who really understands the struggles of the working class and is qualified and understands how we need to restructure uh, the governor's administration to actually be responsive to these problems that we've seen. Um, I mean, the pandemic really did expose where the holes in the safety net are. Uh, it exacerbated them. Um, and if we don't start doing something about that as soon as possible, we're only going to see income inequality deepen in New York, which I, I, I thought was never possible, to be honest with you. You know, New York before the pandemic was already the state with the greatest thing, income inequality in the entire country. And now it's worse. Um, so these are these are, I think, the issues that we want to see addressed. And we'll see how it unfolds over the next two years. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a, a short break here and then we'll resume our conversation with State Senator Jessica Ramos. We're, we're back on the air with State Senator Jessica Ramos, and uh, we really appreciate you joining us uh, this evening. Uh, one question I want to ask you re- relating to matters here in the city. Uh, public schools are scheduled to reopen on September 10th, and you're the mother of two school-aged children. Uh, Wondering uh, how you're seeing this situation. That's right. I have uh, children entering both the second and fourth grade next year. 
they attend a local public school. I'm a big proponent of public uh, education, um, and, and I believe that we need our schools to be fully funded. Uh, but like you know, the principals union, CSA, and, you know, like many teachers and, and other folks who work in our school system, I'm very concerned uh, that the DOE does not have a clear plan to to keep everybody safe. Um, I understand that we're going to have to figure out uh, blended learning. Um, I know that some parents are going to choose to use virtual learning completely. Um, and really, we want to empower every parent to do what they believe is best for their child, for their family. Um, but we need a better plan for the, from the Department of Education uh, that outlines uh, exactly what the protocols will be. Um, and in that sense, I urge everyone to pay close attention to what the principals union is doing, to what our educators are thinking. Right now, they're advocating uh, for the school opening to be delayed at least until the end of September. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm with them. I believe they are the experts on, on, on our education system. Um, and I want to see a better plan that really does even uh, take into uh, consideration m much more uh, parent input. You know, unfortunately, right. the, D the DOE did put out a survey uh, for parents to fill out, and it was very important for parents to participate, but too many did not. Um, and so we we really need to pay attention to these issues, and um, hopefully we'll, we'll create enough pressure for there to be a, a an, an improved plan very soon. Alrighty, we're we're coming near the end here, and I just want to swing out uh, for a moment to national politics. The Democratic National Convention, uh, in its virtual format, gets underway tonight, and uh, you're one of the nearly 1,100 Bernie Sanders delegates. Uh, uh, participating in the convention. Uh, this uh, also, I mean, marks the end of uh, Sanders' second presidential run. And can you uh, talk about, uh, you know, what, what it means to you, uh, looking back on how things went and how you see things uh, going forward? Oh, I'm a very proud Bernie delegate, um, and I, I feel very honored that Senator Sanders chose to appoint me to the Rules Committee. It was really an eye-opening experience just in terms of internal uh, party uh, transparency, even when we were voting on the rules themselves and we, when we were voting on, on different things. Um, but ultimately, I'm disappointed that the uh that the Democratic platform does not, at the very least, include Medicare for all. Um, I mean, we are in in, in, in probably the worst uh, situation we've been in in our lifetimes, um, and and it's just un unconscionable to me that we are not thinking about a national health care system that really truly is inclusive of every single human being who lives in this country, um, because we now know if there was ever any doubt before how important it is that the person sitting next to us on the bus or on the train is healthy, um, that there are no barriers to getting the health care and the medicine that they may need. Um, every single human being should be guaranteed quality health care. Um, and, right. and, and that we'll, is we'll what we to need to work towards. All right. We'll have to leave it there. State Senator Jessica Ramos, thanks for joining us this evening on WBAI Evening News. Good talking to you, John. Thanks for having me. You bet. 
All right. Before we leave, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like on this on the air. You can give by calling 516-620-3602. Again, 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org. Special thank you to Amba Gagarian, Renee Feltz, and Leah Duran for their help with this evening's show. Follow the latest news from The Independent at independent.org. Once again,